needed to hire a part-time office manager a year or so ago, I asked my other part-time office manager, Ainsley, to do a phone screen of the shortlist. We operate in the corporate world and I wanted somebody who would be well-spoken. And we also work a lot with people who can be really upset about their life at work. So I also wanted someone who would sound warm and caring. Then, once Ainsley and I had refined this initial shortlist, I exposed each person to a series of activities that they were probably not expecting. Before the actual interview, they came in for some brief but telling exercises. Grammar, punctuation, Excel, Word, PowerPoint, and then finally a role play. I knew that in our small office, it would be so important that this person and I gelled so then I asked in the actual interview some unusual questions that they could not possibly have expected because I wanted to get to know the real person. Now, I promised last episode that I would finally talk about interviews. I've avoided a systematic approach since I started these podcasts last year. I think partly it's such a big topic, you could go on forever. But I thought it would be so boring to just begin at the beginning And I didn't want to just give you information like a lecture, because if there's anything I dread, it's being boring. Yet, I realised on my experience of hiring the office manager that it actually would be helpful to start at the very beginning. So I will. Welcome to Career Chinwags for the 21st Century. I'm a career practitioner who's worked with thousands of clients over the past 20 years, so I've had quite a bit of time to think about career things. Each fortnight, I pick up on an issue that takes my fancy. Some are extremely practical, such as episodes two and three, where I give precise and micro details about how to implement a job search networking campaign. Other episodes tend to cover more big picture topics, like last episode, where I identified 10 characteristics of a perfect 10 leader. In today's episode, I'm going to cover three types of interviews you're likely to face these days, and then I'm going to distinguish between standard interview questions and advanced interview techniques. As they say in The Sound of Music, let's start at the very beginning. So here goes. The three common types of interviews are telephone screening, in-person screening, and the selection interview. The telephone screening interview saves the employer time. It's it's what I did because you can eliminate candidates based on essential criteria and these criteria can vary according to what the person wants in their job, what their required skills are. They're usually checking whether you sound like the sort of person who would fit in with the team and the role and they often want to check your technical capacity. Because these interviews will often occur when you're not expecting them, it's important that your job search records are organised and that you keep them where you can just grab them at a moment's notice. Don't answer when you're out and about. Talk to the person, calmly schedule a new time and make sure it's as soon as possible because often they're on a roll and they won't call you back if you're not prompt. This is a good reason, I think, to have a dedicated place in your home for your job search. Keep your resume in view as you're talking to the person and refer to it, obviously, as you need to. When you're on the phone, your voice conveys about 75% of the first impression you make on the person. So it's worth checking what you sound like as soon as you're thinking about applying for a new job. As always, ask someone who's going to tell you the truth in a supportive, problem-solving way. In addition, the actual words become much more important than in a face-to-face interview because, of course, they make up the remaining 25% of the impression you make on this stranger. Aim to sound organised and calm. 
The other version of a screening interview is when they actually do it in person. It's usually conducted by a professional screener from the company's human resources department or from the recruiter. And at this stage, the goal, as with the phone interview, is to select candidates who will meet the decision maker. They'll be doing exactly what happens in the phone interview, but this time your body language becomes much more important. And of course, these days, this in-person screening interview can be done via Skype, Teams or Zoom. And an important innovation is a pre-recorded interview where they ask you to log on to some software. They have some pre-recorded questions. You usually have a set amount of time to answer each question. And sometimes you'll get two or three chances, but after that, that's it. And in relation to this, I think it's worth you going back to the podcast I did about Zoom interviews because the same thing would apply. I can remember watching some IT managers' response to one of these interviews and I was shocked that they just didn't look at the camera lens as I've spoken about before and all we saw on the panel was this awkward downward glance. The second sort of interview is a selection interview and there are several types and often several stages here. So the selection interview obviously is usually conducted by the decision maker and the purpose is to probe whether you have the right qualifications and to sort of assess their comfort level in working with you. It's often described as can, will, fit, as in can you do the job, will you do the job and will you fit in with our organisation. Good organisations, by the way, often structure the interview process such that the interviewer must assess your fit before they go on to assess the other elements because they understand how important fit is. There may be numerous interviews at this stage and as the number of candidates is whittled down, you may be invited back to speak with the same person or with other managers or with actual members of your work group. Your ability to establish rapport and present yourself as the right person for the position is obviously critical. And even if there's only one decision maker amongst a group of people who are assessing you, the opinions of the other people are important. The decision maker will ask these other people and it will probably have an effect on the outcome. The HR person, for example, who is often sitting in on interviews is often there to assess whether he or she believes you're going to fit in with the culture of the organisation. When you're invited to interview with a number of people, you need to make sure that you include all of them as you answer. So yes, you would direct most of your attention towards the person who asked you the question, but you must make sure each time that you also glance at other people on the panel so that they don't feel excluded. As always, you have to balance this mixture of being yourself, but also selling yourself. Another type of interview or a subset of an interview is when they ask for a work sample. So this is usually done to let you show your wares. It may be if you're a graphic designer, they may ask you to bring a portfolio in. A salesperson might be asked to give a sales presentation. Other processes in this selection interview is a peer group interview. And this is an opportunity where you can meet and talk to your prospective co-workers. And of course, just as in the other interviews, this peer group will be checking you out big time. And the panel interview is very common in government and the not-for-profit sector. It usually consists of three or more people, all of whom ask you questions. Weirdly, I heard just recently that in some government departments, the prospective boss is not allowed to be part of the panel because they think it eliminates personal bias. I must say that seems totally weird to me. Another interesting type of interview is the lunch interview. 
I remember hearing about this quite a long time ago, that in the United States, this was often used to check on your table manners. That doesn't tend to be the motivation here in Australia. Here, sometimes it can be to check how much you drink and whether you handle your alcohol. My advice is if it's a lunch, definitely do not drink, even if they are drinking. If it's a dinner, that can become quite difficult. So it's going to be a judgment call for you. I think if you are going to have a drink, just have one. That is it. Mainly in Australia, this type of interview is to check out how well you behave in a social situation, because the more senior you are in an organisation, the more important this is. And so even if you're applying for a more junior role, if that role would typically have a pathway through to a more senior role, they will still possibly see what your social skills are like to see whether it looks like you would be able to head up that pathway and represent them well in a social situation. The final sort of interview does not tend to happen very often here in Australia, and it's called a stress interview. It just doesn't really fit in with our culture, but here's what it is. A stress interview, really, it's not going to be an interviewer. You're going to be assessed by an interrogator. It's an interview where you're treated as though you're the enemy. And the interrogator will ask you a number of offensive questions that are designed to deliberately make you feel uncomfortable. As I said, it's highly unlikely to happen here in Australia. Our culture tends to be one where we expect an interview to be set up such that it allows people to show how well they can behave and operate, not how they respond to aggression. If you do get one, all I can advise is to keep your cool, take your time in responding to the questions, don't take it personally. It's usually a test on how well you'll handle stress in the job. I would, however, go and check them out quite thoroughly separately because, as I said, it's not really the done thing here. The second part of my podcast today, I want to talk to you about within the interview process, what range can you expect? And there's two clear types. There's people who ask basic questions. And there are people who structure the interview in a more advanced way. I still can't believe how many people ask basic questions like, what are your strengths? What would your boss say about you? Where do you want to be in five years' time? Why should we hire you? What's a weakness? I must say it tends to be more amongst the small business part of the market. So if we move on to more advanced types of interviews, what government and corporates really do is they work backwards from the position. They work out first, in order to do this role well, what are the qualities and attributes that the person needs? And then they structure questions and or activities to check whether you have what they're after. So they work backwards. The three main tools that they will use is they will ask situational questions and behavioral questions. And that, by the way, is called behavioral interviewing. And then they will use assessment centers. In a situational question, you'll be asked to give specific examples of where you've demonstrated the particular behaviour or skill that they're after. So they might say something like, tell me about a time when you dealt with an angry customer. Give us an example of a time where you showed leadership. Now, there's a couple of purposes to this style of interviewing. One is a less common reason, but, but it is a reason, is that they will find out if you are a liar. Because after the initial question and your initial answer, they will ask sub-questions. So they might say, why did you do that? And then you answer. And then they might say, how did the customer respond when you did that? And then you answer. And then they might say, and would you do anything again differently? What would you do differently? And then you answer. 
So there are many sub-questions after the initial overarching question. And because lying is an act of memory, you may not realise as you're constructing your lie that you've actually contradicted something that you've said earlier on, but the person listening will definitely hear. But the main reason, and certainly in Australia, the main reason of asking this style of question is to drag it out of you because most Australians are very inarticulate. They go to work, they do their job, and they don't actually analyse why they're good at what they do. And so as an interviewer, if you asked somebody, what are your strengths, and the person felt uncomfortable selling themselves, you might miss out on a really good employee. Whereas if you use situational questions, in theory, you keep asking, you keep drilling down, and you find out, get a better picture of what they're actually like in the workplace. People don't tend to ask as many behavioural questions in an interview as situational questions, so I always find it odd that it's called behavioural interviewing. They're designed to handle hypothetical situations. So typically they might say something like, what would you do if one of your the people reporting through to you was running behind on a key project? Or how would you respond to a fellow worker complaining that his boss was harassing him? So they want to get a feel for your workplace philosophy and thinking. But as I said, it's not as common. The final thing I want to talk about today is assessment centres. Assessment centres are used for a wide range of roles from shop floor to senior management, but typically they're used in, in a bulk situation. They're used for jobs where the role has a low level of technical skills attached to it and a high level of behavioural skills or behavioural requirements. And so classically, a call centre, for example, or a retail situation where the employer really wants to find out about your attitude and behaviour and soft skills at work. So they will call you all together in the one spot. In the old days, it was over two days. These days, no one will go to anything over two days. So these days, it's usually about five or six hours on the one day. And you'll be there with 10 or so other people. And throughout the day, you'll jump from one activity to another. And each activity is assessed by a separate person. These people have also not seen your resume. So again, they have no knowledge of your background. They have very precise instructions which they need to follow when they're assessing your behaviour. I was an assessor a while ago because I wanted to find out what it was like. So I did it for about, I don't know, six months. I can always remember this one person who, when he introduced himself at the beginning, was the ultimate. They say that if you are blonde, tall and male, statistically, you're more likely to get a job than anyone else, which I've often thought I was, I'd be in trouble then being not blonde, not tall and not male. So he was a very smooth-spoken English person, a double degree, and he just was apparently charming. This particular customer wanted to do some interviews and he apparently shone in the interviews. I happened to assess his customer service exercise, which was actually a written activity. And the activity was that he had to respond to the head of the social club giving advice about the next social event. And I can almost remember word for word what he said. He said, look, my boss is away. And so really, you'll need to wait till Monday till she gets back. He then, to be fair to him, did throw in a few suggestions and he finished off by saying, P.S., because I'm not married and don't have kids, I'd be as much use to you as a chocolate fireman. So needless to say, he didn't pass that activity. And then in the teamwork activity at the end, he performed quite dismally. So I presume he did not get offered the job. If you think you're going to face an assessment centre, I don't want to talk about it too much more now. I think that you probably do need to talk to an expert and make sure that you can prepare well. 
No executive really in Australia will agree to go to an assessment centre because there's an immediate lack of privacy. Everybody else in the assessment centre knows that you're applying for the same job. And so what employers do is they will split off some of the activities in the assessment centre and ask the candidate to do it on their own. And that's what I did, for example, with the role play with the office manager. I took one of the common activities from the assessment centre, but we just did it one-on-one. What I've talked about today is really, as I said, a chronological approach, starting with your first interaction, going through to probably the most sophisticated activities you could ever face, which is the assessment centre activities. I think I'd like to take a separate detour. It's worth you really checking out the software for video pre-interviews. There's key software that's used and they usually allow you to do a little test so that you can prepare beforehand because I've just found that my performance in a phone interview falls off quite dramatically. Ironically, I think I'd be better at a video interview than a phone interview, but I think most people having the thought that they've got to answer in that 30 seconds and that they've only got three chances, it affects their performance quite drastically. So as a little detour, I think out of today's podcast, if there's one thing you do, I think it would be to go and check out that software. So I've got through it. I've got through my interviews one-on-one and I hope that you haven't been too bored. Thanks for listening. As always, I'd love it if you share the podcast or perhaps leave a review. I'm doing a podcast every fortnight and next episode, I'm going to talk about the next stage of preparing for interviews, which is to master first impressions, to get your body language right and your voice right and your words. Remember, if you want to review what we've talked about, there'll be full show notes on the website. It's www.careerconsult.com.au and I do do a mail out once a fortnight of my content and it varies between a video, a blog and an infographic. So if you're interested, either contact the office or you'll find a sign up form on the website. Let's finish with the hashtag, hashtag why not be happy at work.